We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers gutted out a 105-100 to win over the Indiana Pacers to kick off the second half of the season last night, despite most of the team not playing particularly well. So it was a, a good win, considering the injuries and the fact that they did not really have their timing. But one of the guys who I thought played well was Montrez Harrell. But it was a game that illustrated many of the arguments both for and against him. So we're going to dig a little deeper into his game in this first segment at the very least. And we'll see if it extends into the, the second one. Uh, Darius, you and I have been talking hoops on a regular basis for a few years now. And one of the things that I, I've noticed and I love about you and your analysis is that you tend to see the best in players. And with role players in particular, uh, we share that whole, you know, tell me what they can do, not what they can't do mentality. And that's why it's striking to me the degree to which Trez's game irritates you. And uh, we all have those guys whose, you know, weaknesses kind of clash with our, the way we see the game and, and what we see value. And he's a guy who seems to do that for you. And we don't come across many guys that I would describe that way. I'd love to go in depth into your concerns with him, especially considering my affinity for him and, and his game. So uh, I'd, I'd love to hear more just about uh, what you see in Trez's game that, that stands out to you in a way that concerns you about both the present and going forward into the playoffs. So it's an interesting framing I have for Trez. I think the first thing I should say up front is I think that he's a good player. Yeah. Like he's talented really good offensively and I think his utility defensively can be leveraged a certain way for him to be useful on that end not just like oh an average guy right but he could be good on that end some of the frustrations I've expressed in like our text chat and I think a couple of times I've said the phrase like I'm over Trez and mm -hmm. A lot of that is based off of the context of his role on the Lakers and how he's being used, particularly defensively. And there's two schools of thought here. One is it's the coach's job in order to put players in position to succeed. And I think Vogel on a certain level is failing Trez in a very specific way, particularly defensively, because he's often putting him in positions where he's not as effective 
And then when he doesn't perform to a certain level, you then see Trez's minutes get bumped down. And it's sort of like snowballs on itself, right? It's that idea of tell me what you can do rather than what you can't do. But then oh, oh, it's like, so I'm going to bring a wire clip here. When I'm listening, I'm listening. There's all those scenes in The Wire and they talk about and it's a conversation that McNulty has with Lester. And it's like, never tell them where you don't want to go. Right. And McNulty made the mistake of telling them, I don't want to be on the boat. Right. That's right. And then where does he end up after he crosses Rawls too many times? He ends up on the damn boat. Right. And so to a certain extent, it's like they ask Trez, all right, tell me where you don't want to go. And if Trez were being honest, he would probably say, oh, yeah, well, you know, I don't want to be in drop coverage too much. I don't want to be the sole rim protector. I don't want to have to be the guy who is navigating space and making these either or decisions because those are not his strengths. But the Lakers defensive scheme is exactly that. Right? right. And Vogel has coached that way his entire career. And I what do not know with it. Mm-hmm. And I do not expect him to change for Montrez Harrell. Right. I just don't. And so that puts the onus on the player a little bit to be better. And so a part of the thing that I'm seeing here is the push and pull between coach and player. And when I say I'm over Trez, it's not necessarily like, oh, I don't think Trez is good or I don't think Trez can play. It's within the context of, look, his role in theory is not going to change much, at least in the regular season as as I see it. And that complicates him for me. And then when I talk about a couple of the specific things that I don't like about Trez in terms of his his individual game, there are just some fundamental things that he does or does not do that just irk me, right? Like the way that he defends with his hands down, way, well, way too much, especially inside the paint, the way that he is constantly sort of looking to teammates for the coverage that would assist him the most, as if he's the only player within the context of the scheme that matters sometimes. Like, like, hey, you should be here. And because if you were there, I wouldn't have been exposed in the way that I was just exposed right there. But team defense is symbiotic, right? And there are definitely times where Trez could use assistance from his teammates. There are definitely times, though, where Trez needs to be better positioned, too. Right. And he needs to be where he's supposed to be in order to help his teammates. And I feel like the that is not reciprocated as much within the context of when there are breakdowns. I don't often see players sort of like in the same sort of animated fashion being like, hey, where were you here when I got when I'm shading for an ice coverage and you're too high at the level of the ball on the wrong side. That's a dialogue too. Right. But so there's a lot of stuff there and within the context of defense, especially the big man being the guy who's often behind, I often think it's, it's his responsibility to be communicating more, to be in the right place more to cover for your teammates more than it is for the guards to be that way for the big men. And so some of my, most of my frustrations around Trez revolve around that dynamic. It doesn't mean he's a bad player. In fact, I think that he's a good player. And in the fourth quarter of the Pacers game, I thought much more of the action flowed towards his strengths than his weaknesses. And that played out in how effective he was in helping the Lakers win that game. Like, is anything I'm saying here so, like so far out of left field that it sounds like I'm being unfair to him? I I would just like to direct some of your feelings towards Trez and towards Frank Vogel to Doc Rivers instead. If you like, if you think about what Montrez Harold did for the Clippers, it was the same exact thing every year. It was come off the bench, run screen roll with Lou Williams. Don't matter that much about defense 
Right. Especially because like with that unit, they were typically outscoring teams and you know they were they just sort of had a, a real simple, nice system. They played the same way. It was mostly the same personnel. Uh, Trez could show up to the arena and he knew what he was going to do that night. He knew he was going to set a screen. He was going to roll hard. Um, Lou Williams was, was either going to take a contested jumper or he, he was going to drop it off to him. Like it was it was kind of plugged in. And then Harold was going to hit the offensive glass. You know, sometimes he would end up playing with the starters um, late in games, but same kind of stuff. Like he wouldn't have as many of those defensive responsibilities in part because it would be Paul George and it would be uh, Kawhi Leonard, who are two of those guys that can cover up for a lot of stuff. So uh, Beverly, too. So I think that he just got really comfortable and the way that he was playing, the specific way that he was playing, got him six man of the year, which is pretty validating for, for like, why would I play some kind of different system? Um, and Darius, I want to bring Vogel into this, but you you have a point there. No, I think what you're saying too, Mike, Braun touched on this in his postgame comments when he got asked specifically about Trez. And he basically said, look, man, like it's been 37 games for him with this brand new team and almost like cut, like cut him some slack a little bit. Like he didn't say it that way, but I think that was the intent behind some of his comments, right? Yes, for sure. And then, so something that uh, did, uh, Pete and I were getting to right before the podcast started, the way that Frank Vogel has had to coach this season is not, and I'll, Pete, you can speak to this uh, after probably better than me, but is not how Frank Vogel wants to coach. And it's the same thing for almost any coach in the league, but Frank is a guy that loves practice, that loves film, that loves being able to look at different things in the roster and kind of piece them together and figure them out. And, preparation, all preparation. Yeah. And yeah. In, in that, that stuff, there has been no time for at all this season, uniquely. Like they have almost rare. And, and, so that's one piece of it that I'll, I'll say for Pete. The bigger piece to me, if Frank Vogel is looking at this roster, and this is why you got, we talked about this when they got Trez in the first place. It's like, well, he's probably not going to close games that much. So are you really going to tweak the system that much for him? When it's when the thing is all going to be built towards Anthony Davis at the five uh, in these lineups and LeBron at the four defensively, um, or even at times Marcus Saul defensively at the five and the wings flying around and switching. And so that to me is where I want to kind of kick this to you, Pete. And I don't know if Vogel, I think that he could do a couple things probably to address this as the season goes on, but I don't really blame him specifically or Trez, on the other hand, for not having a, a bit more synergy in what his role is based off of all of the circumstances. Certainly, right? It's not ideal in terms of incorporating somebody new in the preparation and all of the the Vogel made comments in the media availability for the one practice that they did have, which was like the 10th practice of the season, talking about, you know, we're trying to do our best to get better in the film room as much as we can uh, and improve mentally, but I sure would love to get my guys on the court more. And there's nobody that if you were going to kind of square peg round hole a guy in having Trez and the drops and the no roller behind coverages, that's essential, right? The ability to do that. And that's why for both circumstantial and on the strength of, of Trez's talents, I do think that he's work, ma worth making adjustments for. I disagree with you guys on that in that it's not the things that Trez is good at are not so far out of our scheme and what we do that that it would be a, a huge adjustment, right? The end of last night's game was or was a great example of that, right? Of a, kind of a template of how to use Trez on the defensive end. And, and you made a comment in the group chat, right, uh, Darius, about like, oh, if we use him this way, like maybe I'm a little less over him, right? And go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 that's right. It, it's like, it's the point I let off with, right? Which is, it's the coach's job to play to a player's strengths. And where I sympathize with on both with both people, in Me too. where I sympathize with Vogel and where I sympathize with Trez relates exactly to what Mike Mike was saying in that if Vogel had more time to piece things together and and really dive into the individual strengths of each guy or if there was less less injury stuff to deal with. And it just so happens that like the guys who have been hurt this year have mostly been his big guys. Right. So AD's been out. And then now Gasol's been out and the big man is the most important player in Vogel's defensive schemes, 
right? Like, That's right. like everything is built around those guys' strengths. And if he was going to be able to optimize those guys, I think he would probably shift more towards the AD Trez skill set, right? But he's not doing that, and that messes up Trez. So I sympathize with both sides. And I, 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 do, I do too. Go ahead, Mike. No, just a, a very small note on this. We don't know that Vogel hasn't directly addressed this several times. As you guys yeah. from coaching players know, That's right. sometimes you can tell a guy something many, many times, and it's just not sort of how they play very well. So that's, I'm just, I'm, I'm just want to put that possibility out there. No, that, that's certainly the case. I, I think that that's more applicable to the, yo, man, get your hands up when you're in the paint type stuff, right? I'm, th- that's certainly happened in film sessions. That's certainly beyond Vogel, other guys on the coaching staff, I'm sure guys on the team, right? Like, but there, when he's in a drop coverage and he's in a deep drop, like he's not playing outside of what he's being asked to do, right? And that's, that's my biggest uh, complaint. And you're right, Darius, that the five position is the most important uh position in Vogel's defensive scheme. And that is an argument for playing toward Trez's strengths, right? And again, these are things that we do, those showing high on the ball screens, uh, getting into rotation. There was a play in the fourth quarter where Brogdon came off of a ball screen and Indiana runs a lot of actions and teams do this to Trez where they try to get him to make multiple defensive decisions. And Indiana is a team that's similar to Miami and Denver in their offensive structure in that it's a lot of handoffs and a lot of guys whirling around screens, kind of going in a circle around the big man, Sabonis in this instance, and shooters coming off of those screens. So that's McDermott, that's Brogdon, and uh, in the same way that Jokic and Bam will be the hub of that and guys fly around for them and within that there's a lot of double drag screens there's a lot of spain pick and rolls but a lot of times where it's not just one screen that you have to make the decision of am i staying home am i switching am i doing this am i doing that but it's two separate screens that where you're doing that sometimes even three and there was a play where brogdon came off of the screen and trez showed high it wasn't a blitz but it was at the level of the ball because brogdon had been killing us with this pull-up jumper don't want to give that up right trez has the agility to stay with him if he drives but can and can show high enough to contest that then brogdon hits sabonis on the short roll lebron makes a great rotation and bellies up with him which is what you're supposed to do sabonis being the fantastic passer that he is skips it to the weak side corner to miles turner montrez is showed on that ball screen on the opposite elbow. He closes out from the opposite elbow, the corner of the free throw line, to Miles Turner, who's a big guy with a high release point on his jumper, and chases him off of the three-point line. That's an elite defensive rotation right there, right? He he makes him sidestep, and he either got a piece of it or got it or, or bothered it enough to where it ended up being an air ball. And that is, to me, that's not something that is outside of what Vogel does defensively. It's just a matter of we go to this part of our defensive playbook rather than that part of our defensive playbook. And so I'll get into more of the reasons why. I suppose I'll say this now. Trez is 66% true shooting percentage guy this year on 20.8 usage. So he's not like Dwight where he's or JaVale where he's just finishing with dunks, right? He's taking a number of shots. There's never been less than 10 seasons in NBA history of guys at his usage rate, at his efficiency level. He is an elite offensive player on a team where we kind of stink sometimes in the half-court offense in particular. And so a guy that can really score to me is worth making those. It doesn't mean changing everything that Vogel does, but it is worth like, hey, maybe when Trez is on the court, we don't go to our no roller behinds more. We do go to showing higher. We do go to a little more switching, even when we wouldn't do that with other players because his offense is worth it on a team that needs it. It's interesting because when I was thinking about it this morning, you had said last night, like, you know, like, oh, I want to talk about more of the half court offense. And then this morning you had sent a message and you had said, hey, you know, I think I want to talk a little <laughs> bit about Trez some more. And I was thinking about how some of what Trez is good at is uh, is the stuff that Vogel actually pulled out in the playoffs more so last season than what he did during the regular season 
last season. And it's interesting because I think our mindset is skewed so much more towards the most recent playoff run, A, because like the stakes in those games was so high that like the imagery from that resonates and just sticks in our brain a lot more. And it leads us to believe that that's how the Lakers played defense the entire year. But it it, it actually wasn't. The Lakers were not the hyper-aggressive point of attack defensive team with their big men that they were in the playoffs that that's not how they played during the regular season last year in fact it wasn't until the second half of the season that they even started showing at the level of the ball with their big men with JaVale and Dwight Mike please and I and I think that this is an issue of so Vogel has a very steady base defense that everybody knows what it is everybody knows what to expect sometimes at the expense of a given matchup in the regular season um he will make adjustments but then as you mentioned the playoffs how they switched it more usually it wasn't until game two that they really started to go to that more and then guess what they lost game one against portland against houston uh they beat denver in game one but like eventually they they evolved there so i i think that i think this is vogel stepping back and being able to look big picture and thinking, all right, what can I get that, that these guys are, they just know what to expect. And and then when can I get them to like, when I actually get some practice time, when we get the same opponent to lock in on a team where there's no possible way we're going to, you're going to do, do this to us two times. Well, Mike, the other thing is too, is, is that when Pete talks about this, isn't so far out, of our conventional defense. And that's the key here is that Vogel's base is the inspiration for the more advanced stuff that he wants to do. And it's the reason why he sticks to Mm. that base the Mm -hmm. entire season. Those backline rotations that come out of the Lakers scramble situations, those are born out of the same types of rotations that they're going to have to make out of their base defense but against a more complicated or elite passing player at the point of attack, right? And so if you've got like a Luka or a James Harden or, you know, or if LeBron played for the opponent, all that stuff that you're doing in soft coverage where you're supposed to be able to make your rotations easier right? Those are the same rotations you're going to have to make if you push up at, at the point of attack. But when you push up at the point, point of attack, those rotations are harder because they're, they're farther. And you're asking the guy at the point at, at the point of attack to read when he then retreats and gets off of the ball when, when the ball handler starts to move it. And, and so it definitely is in stages. The question is, is does Vogel see this as sort of skipping steps? And is it one of the reasons why he's not pushing it forward this way in the regular season? Because he's coaching the whole team, Pete. He's, he's not coaching Montrez Harrell, right? Like if Montrez Harrell was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the 1970s, they'd be saying, oh, yeah, man, we're building everything we possibly can around this specific dude. And if that means we're pressuring at the point of attack, if that means this, if that means that, any adjustment is going to be spawned from the idea that this dude is the centerpiece of everything. But that's not what this is, man. Like, And so it's, it's an interesting balance and a tightrope that Frank Vogel has to walk in a time when there is no practices, just just like you were talking about earlier. It's, that's certainly the case, and that's a great point, and that is the missing piece of, this is a really fascinating season to me from Frank Vogel's perspective. And uh, a large part of that is the difference between preparation and adaptability, and how important one is versus the other. Uh, last season, with the way it went with the stoppage, I thought it was, it played right into Vogel's strengths. If we can just look at it in a cynical basketball way, right? Where Vogel gets to see what his team is for 65 games or so, Mike. Then he gets four months off. This never happens to watch all the tape that he wants to watch to make all of the, and he's so good. This is something that you've said, you know, LeBron has commented on like, yo, these game plans are really good. They're really prepared 
it's a completely different paradigm where you don't have that practice. You don't have that preparation. And this goes beyond just Trez, of course. But I think that this season is a challenge on Vogel's rigidity versus adaptability in a way that is almost the exact opposite of last season. And I'm I'm really curious, like, uh, if, if you listen to Golden State fans, Mike, they'll complain about Steve Kerr and Hab for the last couple of years because he's too adherent to his system that maybe the players don't exactly fit, right? That was, can happen on the defensive end, too. I was just talking to our boy, Lars Sewell, about this the other night. Poor, fired, poor Aaron, yeah. fired off a hot take uh, the other night in our in our. <laughs> Our guy, um, I was I was having fun with him on that. Uh, by the way, maybe the best meme sender. Uh, he and I go back and forth. We can sometimes communicate with memes only for like a ten minute conversation. Um, he's really skilled at that. Uh, I digress. Here, Pete, what I what I want to do, and maybe we could do this after a break. I think I can make this same argument basically for the half court offense that I know has been really tweaking you. I'd love to uh, get into that for much yes. of the season. So maybe we can, we can take all of this context about Vogel and the coaching and all that and, and have a half court offense discussion next. Let's, let's kick it to break. When we come back, we'll, we'll go ahead and do that. Some mornings you wake up feeling ready to just pull the covers over your head and go back to sleep. So let's make having the most comfortable sheets. The reason why. If you don't love your sheets, Brooklinen has you covered. Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, they founded Brooklinen, the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They worked directly with manufacturers to make... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed luxury available directly to you without the luxury level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. Brooklinen has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting, and they're confident you'll love their products. They even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. And Brooklinen is so much more than sheets. They've got comforters, pillows, towels, loungewear, and more. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code LAKERS to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N dot com and enter promo code Lakers to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's brooklinen.com, promo code Lakers at check. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. All right. I'm trying to think the number of texts that I've gotten 
this season about the half court offense of the Lakers and not saying that any of them are unfair. Okay. But it just seems to be a bigger concern for the two of you than it does for me. And that makes sense uh, when you are the ones that are, especially you Pete kind of rewatching and breaking down film and, um, and having frustration. So maybe the way, maybe without setting you up to, without setting you up uh, too intentionally here, why don't you summarize what you've been seeing that, uh, that you want to get into and then uh, we can, uh, we can piece through it and see if we can come to some kind of an understanding like we may have about Trez there. This is a great format to discuss the rigidity versus adaptability idea, right? And the missing piece throughout all of this is exactly what Darius said earlier is how much is Vogel coaching for long term? And does he believe that we need to build out some base concepts, even against defenses that this doesn't necessarily match up against so that we can be used to doing this? My perspective is that that's what the first half of the season was for. And the second half of the season is to get a, get a little more specific and make earlier adjustments. And I think this the theme of this whole season is adaptability because of the environment. And, uh, and that includes the injuries, right? We have to play a little differently without Anthony Davis, right? That, that makes sense. You have to play a little differently without Marc Gasol. I, I want to zoom in on one set and one adjustment that Vogel made last night. Uh, particularly in the second half. I was texting you guys about our our delay series. And if if you're not familiar with that and, and you're just watching the games, it's when all our guys start an offensive position behind the three-point line. You'll have two guys in the corner, two guys on the wing, one guy up top. Usually the guy up top is a big. We like to do this with Mark a lot. And in Mark's absence, we've been doing it with Trez. Now, there's a reason we we haven't been getting anything out of those sets recently. And last night was no exception. There's a reason for that. It's twofold. One is that our shooters are not a threat right now, right? KCP is not coming off of those screens. Usually what happens is the wing will set a screen for the guy in the corner. Sometimes it's vice versa, but it's usually that. And KCP is going to come off of that and he's not letting it fly like he normally does. And that's why you see these games with four shot attempts six shot attempts for KCP in in a lot of minutes. The same is true with Wes Matthews, right? Kuz is the one guy who lets it fly off of those, but his shooting is inconsistent to the point where like, if that's working, that's great. But either way, that's not going to, our shooters are not coming off the screens and making defenses go, oh crap, that's Wes Matthews. We better really step out on him. So there's no gravity there. There's also no gravity going to the rim. The counter to that can help that is not, oh, that's KCP or Wes Matthews coming off of the screen, but, oh, that's Anthony Davis rolling to the basket after setting that down screen. And now two guys get their attention going to him, and now it's a more open shot for Wes, a more open shot for KCP. That play where Wes nutmegged uh, LeBron through, the, through that pass between his legs, this was one of those plays, right? Wes comes off of the down screen, and Indiana plays great ball denial and great ball pressure. Um, and which is part of the adjustment that we ended up making. And Wes comes off of this screen and you're taught when you're coming from the corner and like you're, you follow the curvature of the three point line and your job is on the catch to face up to the basket. This is basic, you know, youth basketball type stuff is when you catch it, you got to make yourself a threat. Wes, Wes is so not interested in taking this shot right now that he doesn't even square up. And so he catches it coming off of the screen with his shoulders more toward half court in the sideline than toward the basket. Certainly not that at all. And then he kind of dribbles toward LeBron and LeBron thinks it's going to be a handoff. Wes thinks that he's going to pass it to him, end up with the nutmeg. So we're not getting anything out of this action, but we're running it over and over again. So what did we do to change things? We went to our horn sets in the second half a lot more you put two guys on the elbow of the free throw line two guys in the corner one guy up top uh first play we run it in uh, we give the ball to trez at the elbow tht comes off of a handoff the big doesn't step over and it's a layup for tht next play we uh goga batadze i don't know if i'm saying his name right but he is shading trez too far to the middle trez rips through one dribble dunks it then we start running uh dennis schroeder comes into the game he starts running off of that iverson cut that you like d right we get back to back uh bucket bucket on one free throws on the next play off of a side ball screen and so this was one of the first times to in a very long-winded way of answering your question mike where 
that was the thing to beat in the absence of Mark. That was the way to beat Indiana's ball pressure, their ball denial. Usually it's like, get the ball to Mark up top, start back cutting guys. He's going to find guys in those windows. Trez can do that a little bit, but that's not really his game. And so making these little adjustments, especially with AD out and Mark out is really important, Darius, for us to be able to win the game. Then in the middle of the fourth quarter, it's high ball screens with LeBron and Trez, right? And we killed them in that fourth quarter. Just spread pick and rolls. It's simple basketball, but with two guys that are offensive threats. That's part of the reason why I think it's important to keep Trez on the floor when we can, especially in the absence. Well, he ran those with Kuz too, right? And so and he did. Mm-hmm. Kuz is even a more interesting ball screen option, I feel like, than Trez to a certain extent. Because on any given action... Kuz can so Kuz is he can operate like a wing and he can operate sort of like a tweener big right and so he he can on one play Kuz will ghost a screen right and so he'll act like he's going to run and set the screen and he runs right by and goes under the defender and then pops right and he uses that good footwork that that he has inside step pivot make yourself available for the catch a couple times though he actually got a good hard screen and then broad hit him with the short roll for the pocket pass Kuz can then drive he missed that short hook that was one of the last possessions but he also got down downhill a couple of other times and Kuz is a good enough passer where he could also spray to the corner or throw the little lob if he has it. There's a lot of stuff that Kuz can do out out of that action. And so there was more variety within the Lakers sets. Um, You mentioned that Iverson cut for Schroeder. I really love that action for him. You only run that action for fast players, for players who are really quick, because... Can create separation. They create separation and then it gets them going. The the other reason why I love it for Schroeder is because he is a natural sideline player. And so can you explain the Iverson cut real quick? Uh, So the Iverson cut the, and it almost looks like it comes out of that same delay series, right? Except it's normally not a big that's at the top of the floor. It's another guard. And so, well, it's the horn set too, right? Because as he cuts across, you got those two yes. guys. So it's still that same. That same and and yeah. so the Iverson cut basically is when the guard will be sort of above the break at the three-point line. That would be Schroeder in this case. And instead of going down the right sideline to set that down screen, he will cut across court towards the left sideline and from sideline to sideline cut he looks like almost like a linebacker who is like trying to hunt out a ball like the running back who is running a sweep right and so he is running sideline to sideline and when he comes he then catches the ball with his momentum going towards the sideline and then the next action out of that naturally flows into a screen and roll opportunity with one of the bigs who was at the elbow who isn't really setting a screen for Dennis as he runs across court but he sort of serves as like almost like a slalom pole right like he's not trying to make contact on Dennis's guy as as much as just sort of be a barrier that it's Dennis's job to run him off yeah, of yeah and, guy, and, right? and and yeah. well not even use him like a screen because it's so flat right like you're not even that's true. like it's yes. it's more like if you're running out to recess and like oh there's a tetherball pole like let me run around that i see it 20 feet in front of me i'm not gonna have to get skinny and get around that i'm just gonna have to adjust my angle a little bit and that little bit of adjustment is what helps create that separation right so dennis then flows into it and those two plays that they ran it on back-to-back possessions one of the reasons why it's great for dennis is because as a right-handed player running from right sideline to left sideline then as a right-handed player when the screen and roll comes the screen is to his strong hand So if he wants to go middle, he is going to his right hand where the pull-up jumper or the pocket pass for him to the big is right there. But he is such a natural baseline finisher and he has such great instincts for declining screens that 
when he's in that action, he can then decline a screen and go baseline, which he's so good at. So he scored on the baseline drive with a floater, and then the Lakers got free throws out of the pick and roll, natural pocket pass. Big man gets downhill, and then he drew a foul. And so that sort of variety and optimizing a very specific player, I think that speaks to some of the big picture stuff that you and Mike have been talking about a lot in the first half of the pod about like, all right, it's time to start tweaking things and maybe playing to players' strengths a little bit more. Where I would focus my attention on this kind of a discussion in the half-court offense and just in general with the offense is LeBron James. And when you have LeBron, we've witnessed this for years, whether it was in Cleveland or Miami, regardless of if he had star teammates or scrub teammates, like early in his career in Cleveland, he is such a a half court offense and a force unto himself that we've seen it become difficult to impart some kind of a overall offensive philosophy, right? Some kind of a system like how the way that Utah plays you just in in the reason that you don't want to do that, especially because once you get into the postseason, guess what's harder to stop? LeBron with the ball, the individual talent That's at the right. top at the top of the key, and and so LeBron can can orchestrate any of the types of specific actions that you guys are talking about. All those are in his brain. All those obviously, all the, like he can get to whatever those kind of things that he wants. And in this case, he decided, oh wait. Nate Bjorkman, you're going to keep Miles Turner. Yeah, do you notice how I just talk like Darius there? The, oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he has that effect on people. Yeah, you're, you're influencing me in my speech patterns here. Um, next sideline hit's going to be in Darius's full voice. So he's looking and he's saying, oh, Miles Turner isn't in the paint. Sweet. It's Sabonis. And they just murdered him in that action for seven minutes straight. And I kept looking over to the sideline and Turner didn't even come into the game until three minutes or left. And that's when you guys mentioned that Kuz missed that uh, that that running hook to his right. It's because Turner was in the game, and he actually had to think about giving it a little bit more of an angle. And and, and Kuz's floater went away at some point after his rookie year. Like he had a bunch of opportunities to shoot that. Like I, I'm sorry, this is just a, a little side thing, but like if Kuz gets that floater back, especially in those ball screen actions, because Mike, you're absolutely right that look that it, it revolves around LeBron. But what determines how you manipulate that extra defense, defensive attention that LeBron gets is how the defense is defending him. So the reason we go to those those really high ball screens with Kuz is because they're showing high at the level of the ball or they're blitzing and trapping him to get the ball out of his hands. And so that play where, let's say Kuz uh, in the postgame comments said that he made eye contact with LeBron James was a way of doing that beyond the ball screen, right? So LeBron's got the ball isolated. We do this a lot of on one side of the court and we've got one guy up top and then uh, three on the weak side with the big guy, Trez in this instance, in that dunker spot. And so there's this little game of cat and mouse. I'm going to do a one play, one story, one of those little like one minute analysis things on that particular play. But what happens there is Trez sets the pin screen, right? And then TJ McConnell has to split THT on the wing and Kuz in the corner. And since THT is not a shooting threat, McConnell, who's a fantastic defender, is kind of like baiting that pass to go to Kuz, right? And he just misses it by the by his fingertips. But that whole play where they're making eye contact um, uh, between Kuz and LeBron is manipulating angles and the the skip pass and then Trez doing that. And so that's the type of thing, Mike, where, yes, he has – like having LeBron is going to uh, create advantage naturally. But what I saw in the second half of that game – was Vogel making more adjustments to use what the how the defense was guarding LeBron against them? And I saw that more and more in the second half between the going from the delay sets to the horn sets. Uh, you know, like he basically exchanged one for the other. Uh, and and then how how do we manipulate that weak side action when LeBron has the ball? Seeing more and more of that uh, is is encouraging. And I think that that's what this second part of the season is. That's where we can get the most out of that natural advantage that we have. Yeah, I think that's right. And and so there are two sides of this one, LeBron, a lot of this is just how much he, how much and when he wants to attack and that will make defense look different uh, than it has sometimes. And I think right now he's recognizing what, what is on the floor 
on the offensive and the defensive end. And he's playing a certain way, just, just kind of base, like basic, like trying to, um, trying to get these guys to, to, and, and as you said, I think it helped that Vogel switch things up some in the second half. And then the other part of this is that they, I think that Vogel and LeBron came to an understanding early in this. We saw this at the beginning of last season, that if they could defend a certain way, they were going to be able to get going in transition. And that was going to be almost a base offense in its own right, um, as opposed to all of these different actions that they could run on the other side of the court. And what we saw in the Indiana game, Darius, was they weren't getting that at all. They didn't have a a transition point until the very end of the quarter when Caruso uh, took it coast to coast almost on his own. And they were just getting in these all, all of these half court actions over and over and over again. And you know, LeBron was kind of looking around, and then they would like Shooter would take a bunch of dribbles above the three. They, it, it was almost like they weren't penetrating the three point line. And these were around the, the points where I think our text chain started to go off some. But like that is the type of thing that I think that LeBron can break whenever he wants. But I don't know if there's somebody else on the roster, um, unless you put Shooter and certain Iverson cuts as you mentioned, that that is just going to naturally break that. And so I, I don't see it as, as much of a long-term concern, especially once you bring AD back into the mix. Um, and a lot of those possessions just turn to him on the block. And, you know, hey, if you guys don't want to, to trap AD, cool. He'll just go at you one-on-one or shoot the jump shot. And if you do, then boom, then, I'll, then everything else opens up. And so when that's not there, they, they still haven't really found that secondary answer um, to go to. And that is the part where I'd, I'd be curious, Darius, as to, as to a what Vogel does and kind of what you think they can do better for these next couple. Of weeks. Well, it, it was interesting, Mike. I don't know if you caught this from your van vantage point in the state stadium, but it was very clear on the TV angle. Um, there were a couple of late game possessions where Dennis looked at LeBron. It was going to be a half court possession. Dennis looked at LeBron and was, and it was almost just like, do you want the ball here? Right. And LeBron looked back at Dennis and he pointed and he pointed to Trez. And he said, y'all, and I don't know if he did this with his hands, right? Where I'm making sort of like a Texas like horn symbol. Long but, That's usually right? the horns, but uh, hands he symbol. will, but I almost I use this a lot for like two-man game, right? Like where you sort of mm-hmm. shake it together like y'all. Y'all right there. Y'all go to work a little bit. And Braun, Braun understands his own gravity as LeBron James, right? He may know that he's not the shooting threat, but guess what? You know why Braun gets a bunch of backdoor cuts from Marcus All? It's because he's a threat. He's always a threat to come back and get the ball, right? And so you can't just lay off of LeBron James. Right. Because he's too much of a threat once he has the damn ball that you're always paying attention to where he is because your preference is for him to not have the ball. And and uh, certain teams play that by design, right? Like Indiana was playing a great deal of ball pressure against us. So so doing that is is a counter of sorts, right? Like we talk so much about the individual talents of LeBron and AD, but aside from on their own, a lot of what we do is built on two guys and two man game, and that's why the LeBron and Trez was such a go to play down the stretch. Just two guys that are really talented at their aspect of what they do, and that can be Dennis and Trez as well, which I'd love to see more of. Just Stu was hitting that over and over again on the broadcast where he kept saying, if they're going to pressure you this much, you have to get past that initial point of the pressure. Like, 100%. Yeah, and so he was he kept hitting on that over and, and over. And so Braun basically told Dennis, like, nah, man, like, y'all over there, right? I'm going to stand over here. They're going to pay attention to me, and y'all can run. You can throw it to Trez in the post. You can have him come up and set a ball screen. And Trez did come up, and I loved – this is where Trez's experience in ball screens matters, right? Because Indiana not only wanted to pressure the ball, but they were icing ball screens, right? And so Dennis, smartly, when he back dribbled, he saw, he called Trez up to set the screen, and he saw that 
oh, they're icing this. And Trez saw it too. So he back dribbled again and gave Trez the angle to actually set the screen on the ice side to get him free so that he could then snake. And then he snaked. Pick and roll expertise, man. It's pick and roll expertise. And then he snaked the dribble and he got inside and he got that little floater or like a layup right, right at the front of the rim. And you could tell in the next possession, Braun pointed again and it's just like nah man like y'all go to work again until they show that they can stop this and so mike when you're talking about the various counters that and it's not even a counter right it's it's just a secondary option besides lebron being lebron that the lakers can go to and i think that this comes full circle to a point that you made in in the first half of the pod pete it's this idea of all right, well, let's start to go to more high ball screens. Let's start to play more to the strengths of of like the individual guys because look, man, the Lakers scored 20 points in the first quarter against a good Indiana defense, but they're not an elite defense. In the fourth quarter, the Lakers had 130.8 offensive rating and an 88.8 or an 80.8 defensive rating, right? And so they were a net rating in those 12 minutes of plus 50, right? And it was a great mix of smothering defense, which then led to more transition opportunities, but just more variety in their half-court offense to sort of break the pressure strains that Indiana was was sort of placing upon them throughout the, the entire game. And each game, Mike and Pete, each game like that is – each game for the next half of this season is going to be a puzzle like that, that is going to need to be broken against every individual team. And I'll be very interested to see what it looks like over the next two to three ish weeks without AD, because there's going to need to be a certain amount of problem solving and Vogel's going to need to navigate that. And, and honestly, I think he's going to need to navigate that specifically with LeBron. Like how much outside of what we normally do are we going to need to go to in order to stack wins? And if the Indiana game is any indication, I think Vogel's going to probably go more in the direction of straying off of the traditional in order to snag some victories. And maybe the simplest part of this that is something that we've been hitting on for a little bit, just go to the shooter and Harold screen roll more, Pete, and put yes put the actual put real shooting threats around them. And you know, you could pick you could pick, but like I definitely want Kuzma out there. Um, I definitely want, well, look, we'd love KCP to take some more shots, but uh, KCP is part of those lineups, and then you know, maybe maybe Keith, right, who's shooting the ball well, but like those. I would that would be good to see, and I think it's a nice little stopgap until AD gets back in in Marcus as well. Certainly, I, I think that we can serve both short term and long term goals in this stretch, right? Like that idea of straying from what we do. Part of that is dictated by the circumstances of the season, in that we have different personnel and we've got guys that are like Dennis Schroeder is capable of things that Avery Bradley was not capable of, capable of things that Rondo wasn't capable of. The same thing is true of Trez versus. Uh, versus Dwight and JaVale on the offensive end, right? Uh, the the Kuz, Kuz is particularly important with Trez, in my opinion, because one of the things that, that you texted um, was about Trez's defensive rebounding. He can be rough on the defensive boards. On that particular play, I don't think he kind of got handed off to Goga, uh, but he struggles with those guys that are really big, right? Like this is the ongoing thing on the defensive end. And so it's really important for guys to sandwich rebound, which means – Trez has to put a body on a guy, but he's not going to win the one-on-one battle. But who's flying down from the perimeter? KCP got in the mix. I, I'd love to talk about KCP. We'll, we'll do that in a future pod. Uh, KCP got in the mix. Dennis will Caruso. drop down to, to battle. important. Caruso, very much so, yes. And, and so those, in the context of like, how do we, we've got this elite big man scorer, in Montrez Harrell. 
He's really, really good at this. So how do we keep him on the floor in ways that don't violate some very general principles of, quote unquote, what we do? It's the guards dropping down. It's Kuz dropping down and dominating on the boards when Trez isn't going to win that one-on-one battle. But if he can't put a body on a guy and then those guys swoop in and, and clean that up. And so there's synergy on both ends of finding these go-to actions that do not involve LeBron being LeBron or AD being AD that like, we'll always have that, but the more we're able to develop that Schroeder Trez pick and roll, the more we're able to keep Trez on the floor against a team with two legit bigs in Sabonis and Turner. It wasn't just that, that he was good down the stretch of a game in, in general against some small ball lineup. Those are two really good big man D. And so just just closing thoughts on this on this uh Trez and the adjustments and how to move forward in these next couple of weeks, at least with AD out in a way that serves the purposes of both stacking wins, but also in a way that can be applicable to playoff back. Well, I just think these reps are super important, man. Like this is a side tangent, but I look at the Jazz this year and how much better Mike Conley has been this season in comparison to last season. And one of the go-to points, and Conley has discussed this, I think, but like people who really analyze the jazz have talked about this, is that there's not a bigger divergence between the types of big men that Conley played with between Marcus Gasol and Rudy Gobert in terms of what their skill sets are and how they operate and function offensively. And it took him probably a damn near a full season before he really understood that chemistry that he was going to need to have with a lob threat big and someone who did not pop and the spots on the floor in which Gobert was going to go to and get to in order to be effective offensively and how Conley then had to sort of tailor his own movements to work in in tandem with him appropriately. And I look at a guy like Dennis who... Trez is a different player than Steven Adams. He's a different player than Al Horford, right? Like he's, he's, he's just a different type of pick and roll partner. And that idea that Braun expressed, like it's really only been this amount of time. And without the practice reps, I think these game reps become even more important. And in a way with AD out, because we know how AD can fit in with LeBron, um, I would have loved to have seen more chemistry between AD and Schroeder, right? Because that's going to be an important duo as well. But if Braun is going to have his pick and roll partner with AD, then these reps between Schroeder and Harrell, I think, are going to be super important for if that's a big picture thing and what can matter in the playoffs, that is probably it. And what about you, Mike? The whole thing going offensively and like what shooter evolves into with Harrell and how like you were just talking about Mike Conley it did make me think of LeBron and how quickly he adapts to most of these situations you know like he didn't need a season to get going with AD and and I think I do think that if you just told LeBron and if, if Vogel went up to him and said hey here's I, I really like this action with you and Harrell and Kuzma it's like you don't have it doesn't have to be a conversation you know just like do that more and he, and he gets out to do it. So that, that kind of continues to me to be um, this whole ace in the hole offensively. And whenever the offense, it, it, just to bring this Pete kind of full circle into the half court situation, I just still think uh, KCP before the game, I, and I know we'll save the KCP larger discussion, but I just asked him, Hey, how, how do you guys handle this without AD and Gasol? And he was like, well, we still have LeBron. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. So that, and, and you don't want to, I think that this, this is what I like about this podcast. Like there are a lot of nuances and finer points. And you, we just talked about and mostly you guys just talked about all of these different options that they can go to. And that's all well and good. And I think that'll help get them through the regular season, but uh, they, they also can just have LeBron figure stuff out for them. And Frank Vogel at least kept LeBron to 34 minutes, which I liked. They, they weren't going to do the whole, Hey, we're get, we need you to play 38 or 39 to bail us out of a win here uh, coming off of the, the long rest, but he remains the focus point. I, I think that a lot of the points you guys made are really good around that. And they, I think that they will be able to bridge this gap until AD returns until Marcus all returns just fine. And that's when I really want to lock in as to what they're going to be doing, wrapping up to the postseason. 
Yeah, having LeBron is a, a wonderful head start, and having LeBron and AD is as good of a head start as you can get. But there have been many teams that have had LeBron that haven't won a title. And part of that is the development of other aspects of what you can do. And I think that it's very easy, actually, to become overly reliant on LeBron. Just do amazing LeBron things. And while understanding that the presence of LeBron kind of prevents an offensive system in the way that Utah runs one, so that it's so built around individual talent that we have more individual shot creation and talent than just LeBron and AD. And if we can use this stretch to develop the the spots where Schroeder and spots where Harrell can get their baskets and their spots where they can work together to put pressure on defense, to open up opportunities for guys who are dependent upon shot creation. I think that's the real short-term value to get wins, but also long-term value that can be applied in second quarters and mid games. And just to add on to that, one of the things you really want as well over the course of the full season is for these guys to have a semblance of an understanding. All the non-LeBron, non-superstar, so non-AD guys, to have them have an understanding of where they're going to get their shots and what the expectations are going to be of them from game to game on both sides of the ball and for them to get comfortable in those roles in order to be able to excel at them at the level the Lakers are going to need them to play at. And the brilliance of last year's team was how seamlessly everyone slotted into a role that fit them very early into the season. And the only guy who didn't play well, I think, over the course of the full season was like Rondo, but he he understood what his role was still. And, and how to slot and, in when he And exactly to. what was needed of him from game to game. And it was just a matter of him reaching that level. And I think during the regular season, he didn't. And then during the postseason, he far exceeded that, right? And, and so those are the things that are still a little bit missing for, I think, one or two too many players, right? Like, I think Kuz is doing great in that. Lately, I've really loved how Markeith Morris, his look within the context of of his role. I think Dennis is doing well. Obviously, Braun, Braun is Braun. I think Trez is like some games good, some games not as good. What you really need now is KCP, who is now a rung lower than what he was last season, right? To find his way and for Wes to play to a level that is more in line with what his career norms are. And I think big picture, and this is for future pods, we're going to have to decide. And the front office is going to have to decide. And the coaching staff is going to have to to decide if some of those things don't go in the direction that they want them to, then what are solutions that happen at that level? Because at this level, the lower level of night to night game, game to game i like what is out there for them they just have to do it better but but i think that's a path there uh, the overarching thought that i have here and it's I, I really don't want this to sound counter to like the whole point of this discussion about half court offense but just look at the history of the nba when is the when is the time that an offensive structure and certain sets and certain plays was really the thing that won a team the championship. When Quinn Snyder can coach and have the absolute most beautiful schemes for Utah, and if they come into the Lakers in the postseason, it's going to be about the Lakers are have a higher level to reach on defense uh, because of their talent, because of their length, because that's where Vogel is really putting his emphasis. And then at the offensive end, they're going to have their stars create advantages. And so that it is, again, it is way too simple of a, of a way to think about things, but it, it's why, like, I think you can do both, and that's what that's what you guys are doing. And the Lakers can improve a lot in those instances and make them much more watchable in these regular season games. But they just have this ace in the hole that is such a, a massive advantage to get to. And, and that's why I think Vogel focuses so much on defense, because he, since he knows they have that, uh, and every decision that he makes, rotation, lineup, it does seem to start on that end of the floor. And uh, it's, it, yeah, it, it's, it's just interesting to me. But you know who else has an ace in the hole? The, the Brooklyn Nets. They've got some aces in the hole too, right? And even the, the LA Clippers the, with Kawhi and, and PG, there are other teams that have two or even three 
star players. Um, and maybe I'm being generous with to Paul George to put him in the the category of the the other guys there, right? But it's I it's less about the sets than it is about guys developing chemistry together. And I do think that there are parts in the middle of the yeah. game that that like the Schroeder Trez, none of those teams quite have a duo outside of their main dudes that can really be productive and that can be in my opinion what pushes us over the top along with our defense let's let's hold right there for a second though the clippers the whole thing last year that everybody talked about with the clippers was they had this thing outside of their two stars with lou and tress in the in the and like that wasn't that wasn't a thing as much in the postseason because they couldn't keep lou on the floor defensively that's the difference that's the difference yeah if if lou could defend the way dennis can that we we would have met them in the conference finals, right? Well, I don't like, but maybe, but maybe, but they're also they, they also can't get to that screen like like they can do that screen roll action all they want with Lou and Trez against the Lakers full set defense, and then guess what? Kawhi is sitting on one side of the floor, Paul George is sitting on the other side of the floor, and like, cool guys, go ahead. It doesn't you it doesn't work against the best players in the best defenses. That that's a hundred percent true, but I view this as mid game stuff where one of those guys are on the bench. It's not a closing lineup uh, yeah, type of fair. thing, but it's a, it's a, you know, start of the second quarter type of thing. And teams go on runs that, that really do factor into that final score. Anyway, there's so much to talk about. Um, Darius laid out all the reasons why this is a fascinating upcoming month for the Lakers. And they got it off to a good start with a 105-100 win over the Pacers. They kind of figured out how to win that game, uh, even though they did not play particularly well for, for most of it. Uh, but I'm really excited for the second half of the season. I think we're going to learn a lot about this team and we'll continue covering as we do. Got a little uh, four-game stretch up here. I'd like to see us go on a little five-game winning streak, including this game. Uh, and hopefully we'll be covering the details of that along the way. But until Until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ains has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bat next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddie pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.